Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Hi, I'm Toby Young, one of Quillette's London-based editors. This week, we bring you some sad news. Bo Weingard, long-standing Quillette contributor and assistant professor in the psychology department at Marietta College, a private liberal arts college in Ohio, lost his job this week. Although he wasn't given a reason by the college, he suspects it's because he's published articles about the genetic influence on psychological differences, including group differences, and defended the right of academics and independent scholars to carry out research into this controversial area. I spoke to Bo about what happened and the events leading up to it, including a harassment campaign waged against him by a pseudonymous troll. Apologies in advance for the slightly poor sound quality. We spoke via Skype and my microphone picked up the raindrops falling on the roof of my garden shed in West London. Tell us what's happened. <laughs> well, after a, a, a somewhat tumultuous employment at my college, I was fired uh, last week. And what was in a quote-unquote administrative decision, and I was not told the reason why I was fired, and I, I doubt that they will tell me because I, I don't think they're required to, but we can get into the details about what led up to it. And it's important to note that I, I was indeed tenure track, and in fact, I was past the first year probationary period. What do you think the cause is, the real cause is, that they're not disclosing. Right, and this is what I think people, why, why I think people should care and why it's a big deal to me. So um, my problem, I mean, I, I got very good reviews my first year, and I was perfectly fine. I've been very, very productive there. I have, you know, more publications than anybody there, to my knowledge. I'm always the most read at the institution, at ResearchGate, etc., and I get good teacher reviews, but around October, I, um, I gave a talk at the University of Alabama. I was invited to give a talk there, and it was on human variation. Right? Human psychological variation was really the, the end point of it, but it went over other features of human variation, skin color, lactase, um, persistence, etc., and when I got to the university, everything was fine, but professors found, at some point, they found my RAT wiki page, Rational Wiki, which is a complete smear job, doesn't even try to be, you know, accurate left-wing vandal website. And they, they found it, though, and read it and decided that they weren't going to meet with me. And so I had all these meetings lined up with professors and students before I gave my talk at night and nobody showed up to them. Right. So I was like, well, this is weird. You know what's going on? And then the guy who invited me said, you know, they, they found your page. They're really upset about it. They're not going to show up. They're not even going to meet. Their students aren't going to meet you. 
And so it was kind of chaotic for a while, and I figured they'd just cancel my talk, but they didn't, so I gave my talk. And a lot of students showed up. They seemed mostly to be like some kind of activist students. They were clearly there to sort of show me up. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't protest, so they did let me give my talk, which was good. But afterward, they started accusing me of all sorts of unsavory things, phrenology, you know, just silly stuff, racism, promoting eugenics, et cetera, et cetera. The same old kind of smear job tactics. Um, I stayed after and talked to the students privately for like another hour. And then I left. And the paper there decided to write an article about it. And it was a very tendentious article to say the least. I mean, it didn't even have the veneer of objectivity. And on top of that, the group that invited me, and that I should say I sent my outline of the talk to members of the group, they apologized for my appearance. And they said it, they called they called my talk, quote unquote, non scientific, even though I should note that the material of the talk formed a peer review article that I got through three professional reviewers later. Mm -hmm. So apparently the definition of science is a little bit different there. <laughs> and so anyway, I mean, it was very unpleasant. And this, this apology for my appearance was unpleasant to me because I felt as though I was getting thrown under the proverbial bus. And then somebody found that and emailed my bosses. Did the um, editors of the paper give you an opportunity to respond before publishing anything like that? Yeah, they, you know, they contacted me and, and maybe I made a mistake here. I was trying to be nice to them because I thought, okay, like, you know, here's, here's the talk. I sent my PowerPoints of my talk and I actually sent a PDF link to one of my articles on human variation. And, I, you know, so I think that was a mistake in retrospect because it was clear that they never intended to write an objective article. And no, they did not give me a chance to respond. And they just had these sort of gratuitous critics say this is like pseudoscience promoted by eugenicists. You know, this like anonymous critics, you know, how can I rebut that? You know, you can say that about anybody, right? Oh, anonymous critics say he was beating his wife yesterday. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things they throw in there to kind of of besmirch your name so it, it was unfortunate i probably shouldn't have cooperated but i did so this is the start of my troubles because somebody sends this to my bosses i imagine my president and my provost and i have to have a meeting so i said you know i had this meeting with my provost and really the meeting was pretty uneventful um you know there was concern about i guess about the topics that i was studying or writing about and then admonitions for me to be more strategic and i said yes you know i want to be and uh, but i, I to, to be clear i never said i was not going to pursue these topics um but i did say you know yeah like i should be strategic about it what is that but, that sounds like a euphemism for self-censorship what does that mean if it doesn't mean self-censor it's a good it's a good point i don't know and i tried to get that to, to be clear i tried to get that like clarified especially in the second meeting um, so I don't know what that means. I, I really don't know what that was supposed to mean. I mean, obviously, I try to be, uh, I, I try to communicate responsibly to the public, you know, and like, that's very clear from my writings. I think anybody can look at them and also look at my tweets. I mean, I have over 30,000 of them online. So yeah. <laughs> I think if somebody looks through them, 
I'm very rarely not judicious about this. So, yeah, I don't know exactly what that meant. So anyway, I mean, whatever. I felt fine after it. I, you know, I started, I started worrying about what I was doing a little bit. But I really did think that norms of academic freedom would prevail. Just to be clear, um, does Marietta College have a, a, a statement or a code of practice yes. about upholding freedom they of speech? A, they do in the handbook, yes. Okay. Seems like a pretty robust statement, in fact, because I familiarized myself with it right after this happened. Right. Um, but presumably, so, yeah. Marietta College is a private institution, so... That um, is correct, it is. Not subject to the First Amendment. Yeah, exactly. That is correct. Right. So it's, it's, only, it's only binding is to academic norms, which is what I think is important here, and to the handbook, yes. Right. Uh, but they haven't. Have they signed up to the Chicago principles or is it something? No. Their own no. version? No, no. Okay. Uh, to my knowledge, this statement in the handbook is the only thing that they've got. Right. OK. So you had um, two meetings. Is that right? Yeah. So that was the first meeting. And then I should say the second. So this is what's scary, I think, or should be scary to people who are thinking, why should I care? about this because what happened was after this some pseudonymous troll started emailing everybody in my department except for me and also emailing the president and the provost and he or she claimed that he uh emailed the board of trustees but i don't think that that's actually true but also the the emails that this person was sending were full of lies so the one the lie the board of trustees was probably a lie but also claimed to have emails from me that were hacked that would make me look unflattering that just i don't think is true and i have no evidence that those emails were ever you know forwarded or divulged and i don't have any such emails um this person claimed that you know again i was promoting eugenics uh, they said I liked a tweet by Steven Saylor, so apparently I'm I'm a bad human being for liking a tweet by another human being. Um, they forwarded links to articles, including articles I had written for Quillette, and the, I don't know how many emails they sent, but that was when I had my second meeting after that. And I, I think there was much more disappointment in me at the second meeting. <laughs> um, also, there was a tweet that I had deleted. I would say I deleted it like 50, 50 minutes to an hour and a half after I posted it because people were widely misinterpreting it. Right. And that tweet, it seemed as though my bosses were not happy about that tweet that, that tweet read something and I, I i don't know the exact wording but it went something like this it said one of the greatest challenges to modern affluent societies is biological you know parentheses genetic inequality if we don't handle this honestly openly and humanely our societies will be torn apart from the inside like a tree gutted by parasites now what I meant by this was very clearly like individual differences in genetic capacities and that we have to provide a society that is you know, sort of uh, uh, navigable for all kinds of people and that if we don't, people will get angry and that 
it's kind of what will split apart societies. The uh, parasite reference was just meant to be a colorful simile. However, shortly after posting it, a lot of people were like, who's the, who's the parasite in this example? Mm-hmm. And so they were making it about some group of humans, which is not what I intended at all. So I deleted it, and I actually even issued another tweet in which I said, you know, people were misinterpreting it, so I deleted it. But somebody must have screenshotted the tweet, and that was included in one of the emails. You have to kind of... To my bosses. Yeah, it seems... I mean, when you when you describe it, um, it seems perfectly obvious to me what your meaning is. Um, you're talking about the problem posed by cognitive inequality and other genetically influenced inequalities to the health of democratic society um a fairly familiar problem um, that's been widely discussed in the literature um you you have to be exactly you have to be quite um either ignorant or um malicious to um put the interpretation that was put on it by the sounds of it i i feel as though the the the, let's put, I'll, I'll put it a little more, a little less, you know, a little less stark, but I would say it, at the very minimum, it, it shows a, a remarkable amount of, uh, a remarkable reluctance to be charitable to me, let's say, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, as you say, like exactly like that, you know, I was thinking most prominently of Charles Murray's coming apart. Yes, of course. Right? When, when yeah. I wrote this. So yeah, yeah. So yes, I, I think it was it's remarkably uncharitable and in the in the the second meeting uh, the the my boss had printed all of these pages with anti-semitic tropes comparing them to parasites and it's like well you you know basically saying you have to be obtuse not to understand this and i'm like look like (laughs) i i never even occurred to me during writing this thing that anybody would interpret it that way. I mean, I don't know what to, you know, it's like, it's hard to, it's hard for me to say something else than it didn't occur to me. Like it really didn't. And once people started making it that, you know, forwarding that interpretation, I deleted it because I really didn't want people Mm -hmm. to think that. Um, And perhaps it was a mistake to delete it. I know I talked to some of my friends who said you should not have deleted it because it suggests that you did something wrong and you didn't. But that's, you know, that's a different debate, I suppose. So, so this is the, you know, this is the second meeting. And during this one again, and and this is important, nobody once brought up the, the issue of termination. Nobody said, you know, here's what's wrong with what you're doing, or you need to do this, or we need to work together on this. That was never said. What was said is uh, uh, there was a lot of disappointment about my tweet. It was, you know, it was discussed, and like some of the topics that I write about were discussed, and I said I strongly believe in academic freedom, and I'm going to continue to pursue controversial topics because that's what I think academics should do. I always try to be judicious and temperate when I discuss them. And I said that they were welcome to read all of the articles I have published on it. And about the tweet, I said, yes, it was probably stupidly worded, but I think that if somebody were being charitable, they would see what I meant by it. And I said that I had deleted it. And then I had, I even asked, I said, you know, look like, Here's the problem with this. I'm probably going to write something like that again because I didn't see what was wrong with that one. And so I kind of wanted like a, 
a commitment to freedom at that point mm -hmm. from from my boss's side because I'm you know if I'm getting chastised for this and it's going to happen again and I, I don't it was just disappointing to me that there really wasn't a lot of focus on freedom or any defense of me given that this troll is just writing emails about me and harassing me and like in some sense I don't want to play the victim, but in some sense, I'm the one who's being victimized, if anybody is, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I was hoping that people would come out with a robust defense of academic freedom and just tell this guy to buzz off. Yeah. It sounds like the troll was acting unlawfully. I mean, it sounds like if, if someone tries to interfere in a contract between um, two other parties, isn't that unlawful interference in a contract, in your case, a contract of employment. Um, I mean, that's presumably, in part, why they disguised their identity, because they were breaking the law, and you could have sued them if, uh, if they disclosed their identity. Well, still could, if you find yeah. out who it was. Right. I, uh, I mean, on that one, I'll just plead ignorance. I don't know enough about the underlying law, but I would say, yes, the person clearly knew, I'm just going to call him a he, he clearly knew that what he was doing was was wrong and was, you know, shady at minimum. And also the emails were mendacious. And that, that's what is so disappointing here is because if if we allow people to get fired because of pseudonymous trolls, that is a very chill wind for academia. Right. I mean, that is just. You know, this this is a person who should not be taken seriously at all. This person should be dismissed casually and, you know, also, I mean, we he, should go on with our lives. Yeah, and you can sort of, um, in the case of, uh, to think of another example of careers derailed by anonymous allegations, the uh, shitty media men list, um, in which a number of allegations were made about yeah. various male figures in the media of a Me Too nature and yes. people's careers and lives yeah. were destroyed as a consequence. Now, it, it, when it, with respect to Me Too, you can, you know, you, you could at least make an argument for um, extending anonymity, not condemning the um, right. accusers of, of, of wanting to remain anonymous. Right. But in this case, I can't see what 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 the troll's defense would be if 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 he really thinks you are guilty of various things. Um, then why disguise his identity? The fact that he disguised his identity surely should have suggested to the authorities that um, he shouldn't be taken seriously. Yeah, not to mention he claimed to speak for a, a non-existent group. It was like concerned citizens against race science or something which he he signed his email with and i was like oh I, maybe you know maybe some people made this but i i looked it up i googled it and i couldn't find anything right. Right. so so not only is this person uh synonymous but also the person is is straightforwardly lying now i suppose what you could argue in defense of getting angry with me as well is, is some of the material that he forwarded accurate and to that i would say yes some of it is i would ask people to read any of the articles i have written about the topic of human variation and i think what they will find is maybe they disagree with me and i'm always happy to have a debate about that but i never write recklessly 
or hatefully about those issues at all. And in fact, one of the articles that was linked is literally called The Abhorrence of Racism. That is in the title, right? So it's, uh, I mean, if we're going to say to people, yeah, you have freedom during your five years before tenure, so long as you don't study these topics or write about them, then we're making a mockery of the meaning of freedom. We've reached the midpoint in this Quillette podcast, which we'll resume very shortly. But first, a short message from our commercial supporters at BetterHelp, an online counseling service that helps people become happier and more productive. By logging on at BetterHelp, you can connect with your professional licensed counselor in a safe and private online environment according to your own pace and schedule, using secure video or phone sessions, as well as online chat and text. Some of the specialties of BetterHelp counselors include depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationship problems, sleep trouble, and trauma. BetterHelp uses a network of 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 U.S. states, and you can switch therapists at no charge to make sure you find the right fit. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. And of course, anything you share with the professionals at BetterHelp is strictly confidential. Quillette podcast listeners get 10% off their first month's service by using the discount code Quillette. If you'd like to know more, please go to betterhelp.com slash Quillette. That's betterhelp.com slash Quillette. And now back to our podcast. What would you say to someone who said, you have to be, maybe this is what they had in mind when they used the word strategic in the first meeting, that um, mm-hmm. there are just certain topics now which are taboo in the academy. Maybe they shouldn't be, but nonetheless, they are um, live rails. And if yes. you wander onto those live rails, chances are you're going to be electrocuted. Now, perhaps, perhaps yes. that's wrong. Uh, and uh, well, of course, it's wrong. You shouldn't be electrocuted for wandering onto those, <laughs> onto those, into those taboo areas. But nonetheless, right. you must have known what you were doing. You must have realised that. You must have recognised that there was a risk that this would be the consequence if you continued to uh, wander wander into those verboten areas. So, yeah, haven't you brought I, this on yourself, Bo? That would be the yeah, argument. Yeah. So I, I, I would use the. I think I've used this analogy before. I mean, somebody could say something very similar to say a woman who's dressed a certain way who enters a bar and gets unwanted groping. Let's say you, you could say, look, like, you know, it shouldn't happen. But haven't you brought this upon yourself by wearing this kind of clothing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's take the same thing here. As a matter of, of, of empirical accuracy, what you said turns out to be true. Yes. Like if you if you wander into these areas, you will probably pay a price for it. And I have paid, I guess, what you would say, the ultimate price for it. However, I, I, and then you, you, I guess the question is, did you go into it with your eyes open? Did you know this was going to happen? I didn't know it was going to happen. I knew that I was obviously pushing the envelope, and that was my goal. I was hoping that I could do this in a very judicious and humane way. That's what I was hoping. Because I think if you look at 
a lot of the people who write about human variation, some of them are more blunt than I am. And, and you know, that's okay. I don't, I don't have a problem with that personally, but I really thought I could demonstrate how this could be done in such a way that you don't get burned for it. Mm. But I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, uh, and in some sense, my case is almost like uh, an empirical test case of what happens when a professor tries to do this in a moderate way, but doesn't shy away from the ultimate taboo, which I think is by, by far race and IQ. And the answer here is that the immune system of the academic system is indeed still intact and punished me for it. It doesn't matter. I mean, if somebody's listening to this and thinking, I don't agree with what he said, you don't have to. It doesn't matter. The, the problem is the principle, right? Mm-hmm. And as you know, and as anybody who follows me know, I'm always up for debate. It's not as if I'm sending stuff out into the world and then saying it's definitely correct and I'm not going to hear any of your challenges to me. I'm doing exactly what an academic is supposed to do, mm-hmm. address challenging issues and then defend my uh, my hypotheses or change them as better evidence and argument comes in. Mm-hmm. So I mean, whenever I've read your stuff, you've always struck me um, as being extremely careful and judicious and fair-minded and reasonable. Um, and my my reading of your work is that you you did manage to discuss these issues in a very careful way in order to avoid being misunderstood, in order to um, not give opponents of anyone who wants to discuss these things not to needlessly give them any ammunition um right but it but it turns out that well do you think that we were both wrong about your being on the right side of the line or do you think the line in the past 12 months maybe the past couple of years has just shifted yeah, that's a good that's a good question. So I think a couple of things happened in my case. I think one thing that happened is that I now I'm not saying I'm any kind of celebrity or anything, but as my profile on Twitter increased, I think that makes one more of a target. Mm-hmm. So I think I could get away with doing this maybe when I had a thousand, two thousand followers. But the more followers you get, the more people pay attention to you, the more people care. And then another thing is, yes, I do think the line has moved. So, you know, like, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not under the illusion that there was a period of academic freedom that was great. You know, like Arthur Jensen faced a lot of harassment, Charles Murray, etc. But I think with Twitter and the media the way it is today, and the the sort of obsession with this new term, or maybe it's an old term that's been appropriated for new purposes, quote unquote, race science. And you can see this with Saini's book, Evans wrote a book, um, Adam Rutherford wrote a book, Mm -hmm. how to argue with a racist. There just seems to be this sense among progressives that there's this new dangerous rebirth of quote unquote, race science. And I think they see me as one advocate of quote unquote race science. And so there's a group of very motivated scholars who are, who are going, not just scholars, motivated people who are going after people like me. It is disappointing, but I mean, it's very disappointing because I, 
I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think I have many flaws, of course, but one of my flaws is is not like extremism, right? Like, I think I agree with you. I, I think I wrote about these things very judiciously and temperately, and it and purposely avoided anything that would seem as though I'm advocating any kind of political uh, position based on my understanding of human nature and human variation. And still, it wasn't enough. Still, I got a rat wiki. And still I got harassed by people. And by the way, that's fine. I, I think that's all a part of the game. But when you start, lose, when you lose your job, that's not fine anymore. Do you think that um, one of the reasons that there are all these um, guns, you just referred to some of them, trained on researchers like you, and one of the reasons that you're smeared as a race scientist is um, I mean, let's get the sort of two kind of uh, two possible motives that the guns might have. One would be that they genuinely think that there is this toxic strain of research which has which is connected to um, eugenics and racism in the nineteenth century and in the first half of the twentieth century. And it just needs to be um, stamped out, lest it lead to um, appalling crimes mm -hmm. again. Uh, so that, right. that, that's one possible motive. Or do you think that, that actually they, mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't really think that, but they do worry that anyone who challenges the um, sort of blank slate theology, however, however they, they may try and couch it in politically neutral centrist terms, nonetheless p are posing a very direct scientific challenge to the basis of their ideology, their egalitarian ideology. Mm -hmm. And so therefore they feel mm -hmm. that they have to use whatever tactics they deem necessary in order to discredit mm -hmm. you because intellectually their ideology is not going to hold up if, um, right. if a blank slate turns out not to be true. Yeah, oh, that's a really good question. I, I think as with most things, it's most things, it's probably a combination of both. <laughs> so I think there are some people who are so ill-informed that they really think my work somehow is a part of this absolutely pernicious ideology that will lead to horrifying atrocities. However, I think most of the more intelligent people who would smear me probably don't really think that, but they do think that it presents a challenge to a certain progressive view of the world, and therefore they use any kind of tactic that they can to undermine it. And, you know, you see this with the eugenics claim. I have no idea what people are talking about when they levy that charge against me. I have never written about the issue, as far as I know, in my entire life, certainly not in a sustained manner. I have no interest in the issue. I don't know enough about it. I don't even see how the connection between talking about, I, I just don't see the connection between talking about human variation and eugenics, other than it's a convenient way to besmirch the research that, well, it's not even really research, it's more like review and putting synthesizing material, the writings that I forward and that other people forward. I'll give you an example, by the way. So if you look at Adam Rutherford's How to Argue with a Racist, I find it, it's a fascinating book because he and I agree on almost everything except for like a few underlying 
facts and then about what it means for the world, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me think, like, you can't read my writings and think I'm, like, heinously out of the mainstream because I'm not. I'm not. Rutherford agrees that humans vary by continent genetically and that the, the variation is at least somewhat similar to racial categories. Now, he would argue the racial categories are crude or whatever, and I disagree with him there to some extent, but he, he understands this. Now, he can say, well, look, I don't think that there's psychological variation, and I would say I find that dramatically implausible, given everything we know about the Darwinian world. I mean, it would be remarkable if we found all of these physical adaptations to novel environments, but no psychological ones. But he could say that, but even still, let's say he said that, we're still not that far apart, right? We both recognize human variation, mm -hmm. and we, we both accept that it, it varies in somewhat of a predictable way by continent. And then the question is, well, does it have any psychological consequences? I say yes, he probably says no, but that's not like a huge gap between us. Mm -hmm. Yet the way he tr would treat some of the stuff that I write, he would call it pseudoscience or you know, disgusting or whatever. That suggests to me that there's some sort of political animus and anger about it. Mm -hmm. So what happens next? What are you going to do, Bo? <laughs> well, good question. Um, I mean, let me say, you might listen to this and think, well, you know, it's like a speck on the, the stream of academia, and it is because I am a speck on the stream, but this is really important because what I care about is that it sends a message to other people. I'm lucky in that I'm in a position in which I can probably absorb this and go on and do other things. I, I, I don't think I'll be in academia. I'm probably too toxic for academia, unfortunately. And I mean, I have to say my experience with academia has been more disappointing than I thought it could be. Um, I, I'm really just kind of disappointed about that. But this, this is really chilling to people. And I know a lot of people like this, and I'm sure probably you do and many other people do, who privately will tell me, I love what you're doing. You know, we need more voices like this. This is, is almost certainly correct, or at least you're closer to the truth than a lot of these people. But they are terrified to say so publicly. Mm. And they're terrified because this is what can happen to you. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not one, yes, it's one person and it's my life and I'll be fine. So I don't really want people to pity me. What I do want is people to care about the principle. The principle is what matters because for every one person who goes down, for every, for every Noah Carl, for every Bo Weingard, there are a hundred people who are like, I'm not coming out now, no way. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about it. It's not worth it. And that's well, a problem because, you know, our job is to pursue the truth. It, it seems to have so much in common with um, McCarthyism. You know, you have a kind of um, a group of energetic, politically active, not particularly kind-hearted individuals yes. pursuing, aggressively pursuing and trying to ruin anyone who yes. dissents from um, the prevailing orthodoxy. What, what's curious is, you know, um, for decades, liberals have been absolutely clear 
that um, the McCarthy era, McCarthyism, is a stain on yeah. the American Republic. That this was a yes. horribly illiberal period in American public right. life. Uh, lots of people behaved yes. disgracefully, um, and uh, lots of people who, who who stood for it shouldn't have stood for it. And it was it was yeah. it was shaming. And it took Arthur Miller and the Crucible and some brave individuals. Dashiell Hammett and others um, to uh, uh, take a stand to end this um, blight. Um, right. But the very same people who will acknowledge all of that will then um, almost in the next breath engage in exactly the same thing. What's going on there? Yes, <laughs> yes they will. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the interesting features of... <laughs> Of human uh, humankind is our remarkable capacity for hypocrisy and maybe unawareness of ourselves in some sense. So, but one thing that I've noticed that's been somewhat eye-opening and disturbing about a lot of these people who are uh, claimed to be uh, motivated by social justice is just how unpleasant they really are, and how like mm. you have to think about this when you. Coming after a person's job, I mean, if you think about the things that are the most sort of uh, psychologically devastating to a human's life, losing your, your livelihood is one of them, right? I mean, this, it's, it's just truly beyond the pale to go after another person's job for forwarding perfectly reasonable hypotheses or for, you know, making their political views well known on a platform such as Twitter. It's, it's, I, I'm just... I'm shocked by that. So to that point about the, the courageous people such as you know, Arthur Miller and Dashiell Hammett and other people, uh, who was the person who said, have you no decency? I'm waiting for the person to do that. Mm, <laughs> like, mm. like that's what I want is, and, and I, I'm not, there are lots of people who have been courageous and fighting for academic freedom in a dark time. There really have, but I'm, I'm just waiting for the, have you no decency like we have to draw a line here and just be like no you can't do this you can't call out people and go after look if you want to argue against hypotheses fine that's fine if you want to say that i'm a, a bad person that's also fine when you start coming after my job that's not fine anymore that's not okay and that's very very illiberal i completely agree with you that's like why people such as james flynn who's a strong environmentalist in the race IQ hereditary and environmentalist debate is just completely gobsmacked by the world he inhabits and the fact that people don't want to have the debate anymore. And it, you, I mean, I think he couldn't even publish his last book or yeah, it, was, it was taken. Yeah. I it mean, was initially, it, it was, it was accepted and then withdrawn by the yeah, um, publisher yeah. who agreed to publish it. It's been published by someone else now. Right. I mean, that's just, yeah, it's it's really it's really alarming. It really is, and um, I've I've been seeing it get worse and worse as I've been trying to, I guess, be a positive influence and in, in a judicious but positive influence for academic freedom. And you know, you, the problem is, at the end of the day, and, and I I was at a heterodoxy conference and we were talking about this. And a lot of the graduate students, you know, asked this or said this. Like at the end of the day, if you can lose your job, none of the other stuff matters, mm. because 99% of people are going to take their job over uh, adherence to some abstract principle. And I don't blame them, frankly. 
I'm lucky. I don't have kids. I don't have a family, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can sort of like take that. I'm not happy about it. it. It sucks, but it's something I can deal with in a way that a lot of people I know can't. Mm-hmm. And so as long as people can lose their livelihood and as long as there are these motivated individuals who are going after people's livelihood, talking about free speech and free inquiry is pretty much empty. I've, as, I, I don't know if you've been following this, but I have um, just... Uh, created an organization called the Free Speech Union, um, which, yeah. uh, yes, I which, which protects the speech rights of its members. And um, mm-hmm. what could we, I mean, what could we do uh, to protect someone like you? How do we, how do we, how can we persuade the institution to be more robust in the face of these threats and these campaigns? Oh, that's a fantastic question and one that I've, I've ruminated about nearly endlessly and I, I haven't come up with very great solutions um, I, I mean I think at the end of the day on this one it's it's a, you we have to win this sort of war of public opinion somehow and, and by public opinion I, I don't mean like you know not everybody lots of people don't even pay attention I mean we have to win the war of public opinion among people who matter we just have to and I I, I don't know exactly how we go about doing that but that's what has to be done because if if that doesn't happen if we don't win that that battle then universities aren't going to care because they're going to look at their options and they're going to think look it's less costly for us to get rid of this person than to keep them or her Mm -hmm. and the university I, i don't expect universities to act on principle i expect them to act in such a way that conforms to their self interest so we have to make it their self-interest to adhere to the principles of free inquiry and free speech. Just however slowly that process uh, evolves, I I think we just have to stick to it and keep hammering at it and make sure that we win that argument. Mm. I know, I know that sounds kind of, you know, sort of a depressing answer because because there's no guarantee that, we win the argument. It's a slow process, but I, I just can't think of a, an alternative. Yes. Well, it could be that one reason for optimism is that um, the the higher education sector is in economic trouble, and um, the uh, more woke institutions are, and the more they allow yeah. themselves to be captured by mobs of censorious, illiberal, woke students, um, the, the more their um, enrollments seem to decline. And there are a few examples. Evergreen State stands out in that sense. Everything right? stands out, but there are some other examples too. Um, and yeah. uh, so it's possible that for, for, for brutal economic reasons, in order to survive, yeah. institutions are going to um, have to um, claw back some of the territory they've ceded to this uh, very unpleasant, uh, nasty bunch of people. Yes, and you, you know, I mean, I think that that's 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 right. I mean, if it's not, I mean, imagine from the university's point of view, you know, it's it's a cost benefit analysis. Very few institutions adhere to to principle. So if if it takes an economic punishment 
to uh, cause some consideration of this trend, then that's what it takes. And I'm, I'm, I'm not happy that some people get hurt by that, but I'm, I think that might be the only way we can do it. Mm. And, and especially, I mean, like, you know, you can kind of see the, the departments that get hit the hardest with, with the kind of what I would consider woke silliness are departments that don't have much fidelity to the empirical world to begin with. So it starts with the humanities and then it spreads, but you, you see it now in social psychology. It's just, you know, I, I have a PhD in social psychology and I'm, I'm truly almost embarrassed by the field for the most part because it's happening, you know, and, and people say we exaggerate this. That's something that I often get. You exaggerate this. Maybe, but I can tell you this. I went to an R1, you know, university in the south of the United States, and I couldn't even deliver a very, very vanilla talk about human variation that didn't even talk about IQ without having people scream racist at me. You know, I mean, that's not a very positive state of affairs. You can imagine a world and it's not a utopia in which somebody could go give that talk and you would have lively debate about it. And that would be that. Right. That's the world that I would prefer to inhabit. And I don't think I'm like conjuring up some paradise here, (laughs) you know. One thing we can do is we can um, do our best to embarrass the uh, president uh, of Marietta College for not standing up for free speech and not living up to the principles they claim to be guided by um i think we can we can um perhaps do something about rat wiki um which is uh, a genuinely malign force without rat wiki it doesn't sound like um you would have lost it your seems job. as though that yes it seems as though that might have actually been a necessary link in the chain that led to this and and i i am not a very vindictive human being so i don't really care about marietta individuals i care about the principle and i i care that the college let me down on the principle that's what i care about mm-hmm. and i do care about rat wiki because you're right it's just it's it's i mean this the thing is, I, I honestly figured nobody would pay attention to it because it's so clearly just absolutely risible, the material on there. You know, you you read the pages for some of the people they have, and they're just ridiculous. Yeah. But it turns out people do take it seriously, unfortunately. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. And the other thing with Rat Wiki, to be clear, is they don't even try to be right. accurate. Like, I've corrected many mendacious things they say about me. And they don't do anything about it. Right. You know, they're not even trying to join the, the, the world. So I agree. I mean, like, if embarrassment is what it takes, then that's what we have to use. Like, I, I think, yes, I think universities and colleges that don't adhere to these principles should be ashamed of themselves. And, and whatever it is that causes that to happen is what we'll have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And let's hope um, if you can publicize the fact that these universities colleges aren't living up to their own principles they're not they're just paying lip service to freedom of speech yeah. and not actually yeah. enforcing it um then hopefully yeah. students will pay attention and take that into account when choosing yeah. where to go yeah and to be clear i mean that's the only reason i i'm going public about this and want to be public i i really don't i i like uh, surprising as it may seem to some people 
I'm a, I'm a very introverted person who doesn't like a lot of thoughts in my life. But I, I think going public here is, is the best thing to do to bring attention to these issues and to draw attention to the problem, because I do think I'm probably a good test case in that I'm a very, very polite human, right? Like, I don't, there is not a, I don't think there's a single tweet where I'm snapping at somebody. I don't curse at people. I am very gentlemanly and it still happened to me. And so, you know, people need to think about that. If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. It can happen to anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Bo, thank you very much for talking to Quillette about Absolutely. this. I'm sorry to hear. Thank you. Sorry to hear what's happened to you. Yeah. It's uh, awful. Absolutely awful. Yeah, well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hope that it leads to a better career in the long run. <laughs> well, carry on writing. Don't, don't stop writing. Whatever right. you do. Carry on all writing right. for Quillette. Thank you. All right. Yeah, absolutely will. Thank you for all of your help and support. I do really appreciate it. Uh, nothing. Um, listen, um, keep your pecker up, as we say over here. And um, <laughs> uh, let's hope, uh, let's hope, yeah, let's hope it turns out to be a blessing in disguise. You never know. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to Quillette.com where you'll find more content.